Hey, my name is Kevin Clark. I'm the host of a new football podcast called Slow News Day. I want to tell you about it. On Mondays, Lindsey Jones and I will recap the weekend in football that was, as well as look ahead to what's next. On Wednesday, the normal Slow News Day, the thing you've been watching for years, current players, current coaches, current analysts talking about the football world. And on Friday... It's a wild card. Could be some college football, could be more pro stuff. It's a video podcast, so you can watch it on Spotify or listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on Spotify. It's Slow News Day. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube. Car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett, and we're getting you ready for the Patriots and the Jets coming up on Sunday as the Patriots look to get back to 500. We'll chat with my buddy John Jastrzemski from the Ringers New York podcast, New York, New York, in just a little bit. But I want to start here with a trio of takes, two on the Patriots, one on the Celtics. And we will get into Brady and the Bruins later on as well as the Bruins continue to roll. But my first one is, it's time for Mac to get back. And what I mean by that is, of course, we all know that Mac's the starter, at least for this week. It felt like earlier on the season, Mac Jones felt the pressure to sort of carry the team. And he was making too many mistakes. We can all acknowledge that. And that's got to be cleaned up going into this game against the New York Jets. So if you look at Mac this season, pro football focus charts turnover-worthy plays like balls that should have been intercepted. He's at 5.5%. Only four quarterbacks have a worse turnover-worthy play rate than Mac Jones of the quarterbacks that have started four games. Last season, he was at 2.5%. And only five quarterbacks had a lower or a better, I should say, turnover-worthy play rate than Mac Jones. Those quarterbacks, Herbert, Brady, Rodgers, Burrow, and Murray, all those guys are pretty good. So he's been the opposite of what he was last year in terms of protecting the football. And if you look at this New York Jets team, one of the things they do is turn you over. Eight interceptions on the season, tied for the third most of the NFL. So Mac Jones has got to protect the football against this New York Jets team because on the other side, and we'll get into this in a second, 
Their offense is not very good. They're dealing with injuries right now. So Mac has got to be back to the guy that protects the football. He can't think that he can carry the team throwing the ball all over the park, right? We found that out in the first three weeks of the season. He's not ready for that. It was probably a combination of Mac wanted to do more. The coaching staff saying, hey, he's in year two. Let's put more on his plate. Maybe he can make that massive leap forward. Both parties were wrong if that's what they believed. But whatever the case was, it clearly wasn't working through the first three weeks of the season. So Mac needs to accept the fact that he cannot hold on to the ball forever. It was almost like Mac was trying to seek out the big play, right? Trying to extend the play to make a play down the field. And if you look at the numbers, Mac this season, time to throw 2.75 seconds. That's 18th in the NFL. So he wasn't getting rid of the ball quickly and he was turning the football over. Mac was 12th last year in that statistic. 2.71 in terms of the time to throw. Now, that may not seem like a massive difference, but it is. And if anything, we thought this year Mac would be making quicker decisions, right? And he's not. We thought, oh, now he's seen a year in the NFL. He's going to be quicker with his decision-making process. And that was not the case whatsoever. So Mac has got to get back to the guy that he was a season ago. Just be efficient. You don't have to be the hero, right? He was putting too much on his own plate. And I think in some instances, the Patriots are putting too much on his plate as well. Average depth of target this year, 10.4 yards. The highest of any quarterback that has played at least four games. That's Mac Jones throwing the ball down the field, right? That doesn't make sense. Average depth of target last year for Mac was at 8.3. That was 12th of the quarterbacks that started double-digit games. So that's a huge leap forward for Mac Jones. What he did last year worked for the most part. Get back to that guy. So I don't know if it was Mac not trusting the scheme that they could be efficient going up and down the field, right? That could be the case where he said, hey, I don't have Josh anymore. We all know that they had a really bad training camp. So he was saying, okay, maybe I have to throw it up. Maybe I have to make all these big plays. And he didn't trust the coaching staff that they were going to put him in a position to dink and dunk their way down the field like Josh did a season ago. Maybe that's what it was. But whatever the problem was, he's got to fix it coming up on Sunday against this Jets team. And a big part of it, of course, the play action. And that's been an issue all season long where last year, He was at 26.8% of his dropbacks out of play action, had a 100.1 rating, and this number this year has dipped to 11.7, right? Not nearly enough. Now, I will give the Patriots credit in some sense, even though it's a tiny sample size. Two of his nine dropbacks in that game on Monday night were out of play action. That's 22.2%. And if you look at Mac last season, some of his best games came when he was at a situation where He was using a lot of play action, where in the Cleveland game, 142.1 passer rating, 24% of his dropbacks out of play action. The Tennessee game last year, where he completed 71.9% of his passes at a 123.2 rating, 310 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. Well, in that particular game, 37.1% of his passes were out of play action. He completed 11 of 12. And if you look at it, 91.7%, 169 yards, 14.1 yards per attempt and a 118.8 rating out of play action that game. So this stuff works for Mac. And my hope is that the Patriots saw and the Patriots adjusted to, hey, let's actually use play action for Mac. And maybe what we saw in that small, tiny sample size against the Bears is the Patriots are actually going to go back to that. So that's my hope from the coaching angle. And this is a really big spot for Mac. Even in the Thursday press conference, When Bill said that Mac was going to start, although it took him a while to actually acknowledge that, to say the actual words, very difficult for Bill. But anyway, he was asked, well, does that mean for the whole season, right? And Bill said, I can't give you no, you're going to give me a bunch of hypothetical situations 
I don't know what those hypotheticals are, so we're not going to go into that. So this still, to me, Bill cannot say that Mac is the quarterback for the remainder of the season. He still won't say it as late as Thursday. So still not a statement that Mac is the guy going forward, not just for the Jets. We know he's the guy for the Jets, but is he the starter going forward? Bill still won't say that. So that makes me believe that if Mac fucks this up again against the Jets, he turns the football over, that Bill is not going to be afraid to go back to Zappi. Not in this game, but I'm talking about going forward. So Mac needs to prove that he still deserves to be the guy. It's not a given. He doesn't have some 10-year resume of success. Mac's resume, pretty good rookie season, not so good at his sophomore year. So he needs to prove to Bill and the coaching staff that he's not going to turn the football over because he was reckless early this season. Zappi proved that he can play on schedule. Now, what we saw on Monday night is, hey, when you can't use the easy stuff, the play actions, et cetera, Zappi really struggles. But if Mac doesn't clean it up, I don't see any reason that Bill wouldn't hesitate to go back to Zappi, especially with some of the comments that Bill made this week and the non-commit to Mac long-term as the starter. It's just, well, I'm not going to get into the hypotheticals. If he thought Mac was one of the best five quarterbacks in the league or one of the best 10 quarterbacks in the league, he would tell you he's the guy. So big, huge week for Mac against a defense that's been pretty good this season. My second thing in terms of my trio of takes this week, what Patriots defense is the real Patriots defense? That's what I want to know because is it the one that dominated the Lions, that dominated the Browns, played well against Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, or is it the one that we saw last week against the Bears? Is it the one we saw against the Baltimore Ravens that wasn't good either? And Bill, quite frankly, needs a bounce back. After this week, all the mess that he created, and the thing that went under the radar is the Patriots' defense. Steve Belichick, Gerard Mayo, these guys have got to have a dominant defensive performance. If the Jets have success against you, you're in major, major trouble. Now, the Jets are a good team right now in terms of the record. They have a good defense, but their offense is not great. And the Patriots have got to find a way to game plan this up and put it on Zach Wilson. We've seen this Patriots' defense get exposed by teams this year. We've also seen them play really well. What team is going to show up? They had no answer for Justin Fields the other night. And that had been an anemic Bears offense this season, right? The Patriots defense is catching a break here. They are looking at a situation where Brees Hall, unfortunately for the Jets, is done for the year. He was the best player on their offense this season. 5.8 yards per carry, seventh among qualified running backs. 1.48 rush yards over expectation per attempt. That was six of the NFL. The Jets need that elite level running back for their offense to function. You look at the Jets on the season in terms of their drop back game, drop back EPA, they're 28th in the NFL. So on a per play basis, they're 28th when they're passing the football in drop backs in totality. They are not good when they have to drop back. So Bill and Steve and Gerard Mayo have to do what they did against the Lions and the Browns. They have to put the game on a bad quarterback. They put the game on Goff. They put the game on Brissett. Those guys couldn't beat the Patriots. That's what they have to do in this game. Wilson fucking blows. This guy sucks. 57.4% in terms of his completion percentage. Only Justin Fields and Baker Mayfield are worse among qualifiers. His expected completion percentage, 65.2%. So that negative 7.8% gap is the third worst in the entire NFL. So they're actually drawing up some plays for him that he can't complete the passes. And here's the thing about Wilson. Remember how he was sort of hyped up where Oh, he's got all the arm angles like Pat Mahomes. He's really good playing out of structure. Well, that hasn't been the case in the NFL. You look at when he has the ball in the pocket for more than two and a half seconds, or I should say when he has the ball for more than two and a half seconds in general, his completion percentage is 46.2%. 
Last among quarterbacks that have attempted at least 50 passes. So he cannot make those off-platform throws, and he really struggles when his reads are not there. So you got to take away his first couple reads, make it messy for him, and Zach Wilson will suck. He's proven it throughout his NFL career. And here's the thing. You cannot lose back-to-back games against quarterbacks that have been flat-out bad prior to playing you. Fields had been awful this season. I get it. Some of it's the coaching with the Chicago situation. They weren't running the ball with him nearly enough. I get all that. And Fields is a talented guy, but he had been bad. There's no way around it. And the Patriots made him look like somewhat of a version of Josh Allen. I mean, he looked incredible in that game. Now you're playing Zach Wilson. You have got to make him look bad. Belichick has done this in the past with quarterbacks. Do it here. All right. And that brings us to our greatest Boston bet of the week. Thanks to our friends at FanDuel. And this is really cool. You can get this. Lowest scoring team of the week. You can get the Jets at plus 1,400. I'm going with that. Without Brees Hall, I don't see the Jets having much success moving the football. And I believe that Bill, after this is an embarrassing week for him, even though he won't admit it, obviously, this has been a really embarrassing week for Bill, the coach and Bill, the guy that runs the organization. He handled the quarterback situation in a really poor manner. And going into this game, he has got to be fed up talking about the quarterbacks all week. He's got to have his team ready to play. So I think the Patriots are going to dominate this game. I think they're going to cover the two and a half as well. So that's your greatest Boston bet of the week. Okay, last one in terms of my trio of takes is the Celtics have got to clean up their defense. And look, anytime we talk about the Celtics, you have to do the caveat of they're one of the best teams in the NBA. They have one of the best players in the NBA. But this early on has been a problem for them. Now they're three and one and it's been awesome. I mean, they're very fun to watch, but the defense has been a disaster in some sense. Their defensive rating, 117, that is 25th in the NBA. So here's the interesting part of how this is happening to the Celtics. They're actually holding teams to 53.9% at the rim, which is a really good number. And they're giving up, though, 19 mid-range jump shots a game, which is by far the most in the NBA. Sacramento is second in that particular category at 15.3. So they're giving up a ton of shots in the mid-range. And ordinarily, you'd say, well, that's good. They're playing the math game, right? That's one of the most inefficient shots at the NBA. That's You don't want to be taking long twos, and they're forcing teams into that. You want teams not to be taking shots at the rim, not to take corner threes, take mid-range shots. But here's the problem. Teams are shooting 48.7% in the mid-range against the Celtics. And you say, okay, well, is it shooting luck? No, it's not. If you look at the way the Celtics have been playing, these are easy shots for NBA players. We actually chatted with Eddie House about this earlier this week. If you look at the Bulls in the game the other night, they took or they had 32 points on pull-up jumpers on Monday night. They shot 48.3% on pull-up jumpers. Their effective field goal percentage, which accounts for three-pointers being worth more than two, 55.2% because they hit four of their five pull-up threes. So just to put those numbers into context here, the Nets averaged 27.3 points per game on pull-ups last year, most in the NBA. The Bulls had 32 on Monday. The Jazz led the league with a 49.7% effective field goal percentage on pull-up jumpers last year. The Bulls were at 55.2% the other night. So here's the problem. It's not luck. What we've been seeing is the Celtics need to figure out what the hell they're doing in terms of their pick-and-roll coverage defensively. Right now, they're dropping Al Horford instead of him coming up to the level of the screener or switching like they were a season ago. And the Celtics' defense, because of this, has been bad. You look at the Celtics with Horford in that drop coverage. Look at the Celtics on the season. Their defensive rating with Horford on the floor, 123.42. That's unbelievably bad, right? The Rockets were last in the NBA last year at 116.4. 
So when you just add all these things up, the Celtics last year with Rob and Al on the floor, where they were switching everything and they had Rob as the roamer, basically playing against the other team's worst shooter, the Celtics had a 102.59 rating. Almost three points better than the Celtics on the season at 106.2, the best in the NBA. Even without Rob and just Al, that number was at 108.82. So not out of this world great like they are with both those guys on the court, but that's still a top five defense in the NBA by the numbers. So Missoula has to figure this out. We know what the evidence is through the first three, first four games. The Celtics in this drop coverage, it is not working. They are getting lit up in this drop coverage. And let me make this abundantly clear before people go nuts about the Horford situation. It's not Al's fault. It's not Al's fault whatsoever. This is a scheme thing. Al defended more isolation possessions in the NBA than anybody else last season. He held his opponent to under 34%. He was really good last year. And it was a large reason the Celtics were the number one defense in the league. So I get Missoula not wanting to put Al in all these actions early on in the season, but the drop's been shitty. So you have to mix it up with these guards. These guards, actually, they do have to get better getting over these screens. But you're just giving up easy pull-up jump shots to NBA players. And they're going to hit those. I get playing the math, but you're not playing the math correctly right now with that scheme. So the Celtics, we know they're 3-1, and one, and it's because of their offense, not their defense. Now, one thing I do want to point out, Jason Tatum has been really fucking good to start this year. I mean, really incredible. If you look at Tatum throughout the season so far, I mean, it is impressive. So 32.5 points per game, tied for fourth in the NBA. Last year is at 26.9, which was 11th in the NBA. So how's he getting there? How's he getting the increase in points? It's a more determined player. It's a guy that is putting the pressure on the defense from a physicality standpoint. He's getting downhill. So points in the paint this year, 13.5, 10th in the NBA. Last year, 10.1 points per game in the paint, 25th. So big increase there. How about free throw attempts? 7.8 free throw attempts per game, 7 points at the line. That is 12th in the NBA. 6.2 free throw attempts per game last year, 15th, 5.3 points. So if you add that up, 20.5 points per game in the paint or at the line compared to last year's 16.3. So that's an extra 4.2 points per game in those areas. That's part of the reason he's up in that 32 point per game zone. And then the fast break points, 5.8 fast break points per game. That's sixth in the NBA, 3.0 last year, which was 20th. So an extra 2.8 points there. So how he's adding to his scoring, one, it's physicality, and two, it's just being smarter and getting out and running, something the Celtics didn't dig into nearly enough last season. So Tatum is playing at an MVP level. I gave you that before the season, Tatum, the MVP odds. I really like that. He's going to have a tremendous season. It's just early on the season, you don't want to over panic because we know when the Celtics want to dial it up defensively, when they get Robert Williams back, they can. I just don't think that Joe Mazzulla can live with the same pick and roll coverage continuing throughout the season because it has been horrible. And Al Horford, a really good defensive player, the numbers have been bad with him on the court because of the scheme. The one other thing I would mention, and obviously it can't happen against Cleveland, just dig into the Grants at the five minutes. Because if you look at Grants on the season, Grant has been shooting the shit out of the ball. And the one thing about Grants is he's playing 24.8 minutes per game, which is six on the team. But why do we need 15.3 minutes of Vonley a night? Because Grant, we know, well, if he's on the court, you can play that switching scheme. Like if he's at the five, you can switch everything. And Grant this year, 12 of 17 from the field, 70.6%. He's 8 of 12 from three, 66.7%. So you get the benefit offensively. And then from a scheme perspective, you can switch everything. So I would just dig into that a little bit more. But what Grant can't be doing is running into officials and getting himself suspended. Okay, that guy's got to get it under control because we've now seen this with two years with Grant Williams. 
It's one thing for Tatum to get teed up all the time. It's another thing for Grant Williams to be getting teed up all the time. Okay, you're not on that level to get all those tees. You can't justify it if you're Grant Williams. All right, a lot more to get into. We'll chat with my buddy John Jastrzemski from The Ringers, New York, New York. In just a second here, we'll preview this Patriots and Jets game coming up on Sunday. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Joining us now from the Ringers New York, New York, it is John Jastrzemski, my buddy JJ. JJ, what's up, man? Brian, it's a pleasure to be on. It's a pleasure to be back. Um, I had the Patriots in my knockout pool on Monday night, so uh, Off oh. the Pike audience, thanks. Thanks. Oh. Now, we were one of seven people, so we ended up splitting the pot, but when you're down to the final three and it's the Pats against this hapless Bear team, I'm like, all right. Final three, big money. I don't know why Bailey Zappi wasn't playing the entire game, but that's a story for a different day. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on, though, Brian. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's been a rough couple of days. As you mentioned, the Patriots lose on Monday night. Celtics lost that night. And two days prior to that, Syracuse loses to Clemson, which, by the way, JJ, like Dino Babers has got to figure out how to run the clock. I mean, they I got one say, of- Brian, you're a smart guy. You feel like you should be running it for him. I mean, I listen, know. if you need a side gig, you're killing it with Off the Pike. I know you're doing TV stuff, but if you're looking for an additional unit, I'm just saying, maybe Dino has you on the sidelines on Saturday. Yeah, they got to figure something out. So it was a bad weekend all in all, but let's get to your Yankees before we get to uh, the Jets because the Patriots and the Jets, huge game coming up this weekend. And I would just like to say on behalf of, I can speak for all Red Sox fans here, we are very happy that the Boone-Cashman duo is back, man. I mean, this is incredible. This is a great day, even though the Red Sox weren't in the playoffs. It's a great day for us. I'm sure you're thrilled about that. Uh, I'm not the least bit surprised. I could have told you that last Saturday or last Sunday. Um, I don't know if it's the fear of Hal Steinbrenner firing Brian Cashman. And I don't want to totally rag on Brian because as a whole, Barrett, he's been a good GM. Like his tenure over 20 plus years, there's been a lot more good than bad. But the reality is this, the Yankees are stale. It clearly is a stale operation. It's clearly a team that needs a new voice. It needs an influx of change. And their owner is unwilling to do so. And I got news for you. They are not going to make wholesale changes in the offseason. Now, I know a lot of Red Sox Nation is probably hoping Aaron Judge is gone. He won't be. The Yankees will resign him. But the issue is they're not going to do much else. So it's basically going to be like, okay, Aaron Judge is back. Here you go, Yankee fans. Present under the Christmas tree. But we're done here. Like there was a dopey New York Post cover the other day that had like Verlander and Correa and Edwin Diaz like superimposed in the Yankee uniforms. I'm like, guys, this ain't 2009. This is not 1998. The Yankees are not acting that way. So it's going to be more the same. We'll be having the same conversation next year. Don't you worry. Yeah, that's the only joy we got out of the postseason, right? Because now it's like, well, Dave Dombrowski brought another team to the World Series and the Red Sox fired him. And Kyle Schwarber is going to be playing in the World Series. And the Red Sox said thanks, but no thanks to Kyle Schwarber and offered him like 30 million less than the Phillies offered him. So this is the only joy we got out of the postseason. And Unfortunately, the Red Sox 04 video didn't motivate the Yankees to I win. I mean, what a disgrace. Did you hear the reaction from <laughs> Jeter? 
And basically, <laughs> Jeter's reaction was, was all you needed to know. He was like, that series still makes me sick. I can't watch anything from that series still to this day. Translation for, why in God's name would you show that as motivation? The worst moment in Yankee history, the worst collapse in the history of baseball. <laughs> and, and, and I get the logic, oh, well, somebody's done it. Let's show our guys that somebody has done it before. Hey, numb nuts. We all know the Red Sox came back down 0-3. Use a different motivational ploy. Just saying. Please. Yeah, even like a different sport, like bust out the Cavaliers 3-1 comeback against the Golden State Warriors or something. But do not use the Red Sox. I mean, that was just idiotic. You knew they were getting swept after that. So, JJ, if you look at this Jets-Patriots game, before we get into some of the specifics, I'm wondering, like, is this the most juice that we've gotten on a Patriots-Jets game from a Jets perspective since the Rex Ryan era? I'm going to go all the way back to 2015, Brian, which, coincidentally enough, is the last time the Jets beat the New England Patriots. The Jets were playing to try to get in a postseason. You had the Ryan Fitzpatrick to Eric Decker walk-off touchdown. And I think at that moment, Bri, a lot of Jet fans thought, we're making the playoffs. First-year coach, influx of free agents, we're making the playoffs. They go to Buffalo and lay an egg. And to be honest, they haven't played a meaningful game basically ever since until the 2022 <laughs> season rolled along. So, yeah, to answer your question... The Jet fan has had this game circled on the calendar for a long, long time. And I think the reason being is I have the great Joe Beningo, former WFAN host, as big a Jet fan as you're going to find. Like, he, he lives, breathes, he's, he loves the Jets with every fiber in his body. He is so sick and tired of the Patriots beating the smack out of the Jets. Like, last year... Richard Seymour's comments about the homecoming game, which, by the way, it has been the homecoming game for the Patriots over the last decade plus, getting a take on the New York Jets. It's like enraged him, where he wants to lay a smackdown against a vulnerable Patriot team. And I think even with the Brees Hall injury, who's a tremendous talent and they're going to miss him, even with Vera Tucker going out, who is playing like an all-pro offensive lineman in his second year, the Jet fan believes... The time is now to beat the Pats. That's what they think, Brian. They think they're winning this game. Well, yeah, and I can understand why based on the way that the Patriots, of course, played last week. But it is nice to see that like there's some juice from the New York side of things because I felt like this was such a fun rivalry for that short period when Rex was there because you knew that Candle was going to burn out just some of the stuff that he said, but it worked for a while and they beat him in the playoffs. Like Rex Ryan beat the Patriots in Gillette when Tom Brady and company were 14 and two. So I'm glad we're at a spot where this is actually an intriguing game coming up on Sunday. And clearly the Patriots are the team that needs to win more than the Jets. So I want to get to Robert Sala because I felt like at the beginning of the season, JJ, people were sort of doubting him when the team was one and two and some of the stuff that he's doing. Like, are you into this guy, like the the running the stairs and stuff before the game? It seems like it's all a bit much to me. Look, I was not a Robert Sala fan at the beginning of the year. I thought the receipts comment was ridiculous. Oh, I yeah. thought his defense was not up to par. Um, I had questions about whether or not he was the right coach to mold the young quarterback. I got to eat my words, though, Bri. I got to give credit where credit is due. He's done a fantastic job the last couple weeks. This defense is playing unbelievably well. Now, you want to credit that with the infusion of talent that they've brought to the team? Sure, you can do that. But it seems like they've gained a liking and a comfort level with his scheme. So I have to respect that, number one. They're playing a smart brand of football. 
which is something they did not do last year. They've been unbelievable in the fourth quarter of games. Last year, they were terrible in the fourth quarter of games. So, is Robert Sala a big-time head coach? I think the jury's very much still out on that. But for a guy who really wondered, did the Jets hire someone who is weighing over his head and is totally incompetent, that can't be the narrative anymore. It's still wait and see, but you got to give credit where credit is due. The last four or five weeks, Jets have looked like a really good team and a really well-coached football team. That's credit to the head coach. Yeah, and at least they're playing for him, right? I mean, that's all you could ask for as a Jets fan at this particular point. But how about the quarterback, Zach Wilson? Because, J.J., I know the team's playing better, but it doesn't feel like the quarterback's making any progress from what I've seen. And what have you seen from Wilson? They're not asking him to do too much. I, I think yeah. that's what it boils down to. I, I'm with you, Brian, and I think down the road, if the Jets are going to be a playoff team, Zach Wilson is going to have to do a lot more. And I think with the loss of Brees Hall moving forward, he's going to have to do a lot more. But this is a guy last year who made a lot of big mistakes. At least now he's not making a big mistake. Now, do you look at Zach Wilson basically midway through his second year, even though he missed the first couple of games, and say, this is the quarterback for the next decade for the Jets? No. Not even close. He hasn't earned that. He hasn't played well enough. But I would argue... He now has everything in front of him. He's got a good offensive line. He's got talented playmakers, guys he has a rapport with, guys he has a chemistry with, a good defense, and don't screw it up. That's basically what the Jets are asking Zach Wilson to do. But as they go up in competition, Patriot games, division games, Belichick's seen you twice basically in the span of three weeks. That's never great. Buffalo, who they have coming up on the schedule, there's going to be moments. It might be Sunday. It might be a week from now. It might be a month from now where Zach Wilson is going to have to go and make plays. And I think that referendum on where he's at as a quarterback will be a lot clearer in about six weeks. Yeah, and he could be the reason that this team stops going on the run that it's on right now. He's clearly capable of doing that based on what we've seen. But you mentioned the Brees Hall loss. Obviously, it's massive. I mean, you look at anything, JJ. Raw numbers, advanced numbers. You just watch the game. He's been outstanding for this team. I know they traded for James Robinson from the Jaguars, who's good, but he's not Brees Hall-level territory. But how big of a loss is this for the running game? Can they still be a functional running football team? I think they can because of what they have on the offensive line. Don't lose sight of that Vera Tucker injury, too. That's a guy, Barrett, they were playing at guard. They were playing at tackle. And wherever they put him, he thrived. So I think losing him is equally as important as losing a guy like Brees Hall. But as far as the Jet running game, I like the Robinson move. I applaud the general manager for saying, hey, guess what? We got a winning team. We're not going to let this beat us. We're going to try and figure something out, I respect that. I don't think James Robinson and Michael Carter can be as good as Brees Hall. I think they can still have a successful running game, but the idea that their running game is going to be as good as it was, no, I don't see it. Yeah, and the Vera Tucker thing you mentioned, I mean, I remember the Patriots really liked him coming out of the draft two years ago, and Bill, to his credit, the past two years, he's been drafting really well. All of a sudden, he had re- he had a really bad stretch. Last two drafts, J.J., Bill's been hitting out of the park. Speaking of hitting out of the park, Garrett Wilson. He was really good for them with Joe Flacco, and I'm not saying it's on him, but is Wilson having just, like, issues getting him the ball? Because uh, you could argue he was the most talented receiver in that draft. I think there's some of that. 
And you've also seen that with Elijah Moore, who was really impressive last year when Joe Flacco was the quarterback, didn't put up the same numbers when Zach Wilson is the quarterback. Jets now running the football a lot more. It seems like Wilson is far more comfortable throwing to Corey Davis and far more comfortable throwing to Braxton Berrios for whatever the reason. Like, those are his guys. Those are the guys he gets involved with in the offense. But, yeah, I want to see more of Garrett Wilson. I think a lot of the last few weeks, though, has been game script where the Jets are trying to win low-scoring games. They're trying to play defense. They're not throwing the ball 30, 35, 40 times. They've kind of dumbed it down, basically. That's going to hurt a guy like Garrett Wilson's production. But as far as the talent, it's there. And in the first couple of weeks, I mean, Brian, I thought he had a chance to maybe be offensive rookie of the year. Clearly, mm-hmm. that's out now. I want to see him more involved. Yeah, and then you look on the other side of things. Sauce Gardner, who they drafted in the first round, has been obviously outstanding for them. I mean, I remember the Jets back in the day when they had, of course, Revis, the best corner I've ever seen. He still should have won Defensive Player of the Year in 09. And, of course, he got a Super Bowl with the Patriots, which was nice to see him come to the Patriots, be the hired gun for year, win a Super Bowl. But how much has Sauce Gardner changed that defense? He's fantastic. He is as advertised, Brian. He locks down the opposing wide receiver, it feels like, week after week after week. He's confident. There's a bravado about him. There's a swagger about him. He's not afraid of the moment. Look, when you take a corner, top 10 in the draft, you don't want him to be workmanlike. You don't want him to be adequate. You want him to be great. So far, I think the Jets got themselves a great one. And I think in many ways, Garner and DJ Reed at the corners have kind of transformed this defense to now being one of the more upper echelon defenses in all football. Yeah, I mean, you can't really argue with the numbers and what they've done so far this year. They've been really good. So I want to ask you about the Mac Jones-Zappy situation from a Jets perspective, right? Because last week, people in Chicago were happy that Mac Jones is going to start and not Bailey Zappy. Are Jets fans happy that it's going to be Mac and not Zappy in this game coming up on Sunday? Oh, 100%. I think hands down. And I would join the club and I would join the chorus because... Zappy, for the most part, maybe not the end of the game against Chicago last week when the Patriots were down by a zillion points. He has done a better job this year of executing the game plan, which is the Patriots running game is really good. The Patriots defense outside of the Chicago game had chances where it gave you guys a chance to win and Zappy took care of the football better than Mac Jones did. So I think a lot of Jeff fans and myself, quite frankly, I think Mac Jones is far more likely in this game to go and give the Jets two or three interceptions as opposed to Zappi. And Zappi's hot. Listen, that's what it boils down to as well. Mac Jones played early in the year, gets hurt, hasn't played particularly well. And when Zappi's been out there, he's played better. You saw last week against Chicago, when he came into the game, it jump-started the Patriots. Didn't last. Defense didn't hold up its end of the bargain. But I think most Jet fans you talk to Right here, right now, they'd rather see Mac Jones. Yeah, well, and that Monday was such a shit show, JJ. Like, I still can't believe the way Bill handled that. Like, you knew. Why did you, he start him? I don't Why? know. If He basically said it was because of health that he was they were going to play two quarterbacks. So if that's the case, why wouldn't you just play Zappy? Yeah, Bingo. because don't play you, him. And you know, you've already created a monster with this, right? The first time that Mac is struggling, you're going to hear from the crowd. So you're putting him in that position and you're acknowledging that he can't play throughout the game. What I think happened is now he said after the game, JJ, this was interesting. He said that he didn't go back to Mac because he thought it was unfair because of the score. He had already said that Mac was going to go back in the game at halftime. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean that's guaranteed. 
But what I think happened was he went to Zappi to try to win the game. It had nothing to do with Mac's health whatsoever. I believe that Mac could have finished the game if Mac was actually playing well. They would have kept him in the football game. But Bill kept Zappi out there because he thought, oh, maybe we're going to win now. So instead of giving Mac another chance, he just kept riding with Zappi. And Zappi, I mean, he was bad on Monday. So, I mean, we'll see. We'll see what Mac can do on Sunday against this Jets team, or else I think they're going to go back to Zappy the following week. Now, I will say this. They won't pull Mac during this game. Even if he throws two interceptions, I can't see him doing it because just of how Bill had to handle all this stuff this week. And it was, it was ugly here, JJ. I'll tell you that. No, and you know what? It was his own doing. Let's be honest. He's yeah. the best head coach I've ever seen in my life. It was his own doing what transpired Monday night against Chicago. There's no reason Mac Jones should have started that game. Zero. I'm with you, man. All right, I don't want to think about that anymore. Oh, babe, by the way, before... a lot of lot of pressure on Matt Jones now. Huge, huge, a lot I of would... pressure, a lot yeah. of pressure from last year being the feel good ride for twelve weeks, the sour end of last year, the bad training camp, not knowing the offense, the interceptions, and now Zappy, you know this. New England, Boston, and New York are similar in this aspect. We all love the upstart, bro. Everybody loves the backup quarterback, and you guys, especially. Because of what happened with Brady, you know how many people yeah. are saying, hey, not that Zappy's Brady, please. No, anybody listening thinking JJ's thinking, oh, Zappy's the next Brady. No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. The point is, you guys lived it for 20 years. So there's going to be folks who go to Gillette Stadium and they call your podcast and whatnot, maybe thinking deja vu all over again. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Bill found another one. You exactly. Know? That's exactly. what's going on. All right, that is John Jastrzemski, JJ, host of New York, New York, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. JJ, thanks so much for the time, man. We appreciate it. My pleasure, Brian. I'm glad my voice held up after the charity golf outing in a podcast I had to do. So hallelujah for that. And all the best. Keep killing it with the podcast, man. You're doing a great job. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate you being a trooper too, man. That's serious. That's a we lot of work hurt, today. Man. Listen, that's what we do around here. That, there's no excuses. <laughs> We're not Aaron Boone. We're not the Yankees. We don't make excuses. We play like a champion. Amen. Thanks, bro. Good stuff, man. Spring is here, and you can now get almost anything you need for your sunny days delivered with Uber Eats. What do we mean by almost? Well, you can't get a well-groomed lawn delivered, but you can get a chicken parmesan delivered. A cabana? That's a no. But a banana? That's a yes. A nice tan? Sorry. Nope. But a box fan? Happily, yes. A day of sunshine? No. A box of fine wines? Yes. Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol in select markets. Product availability may vary by region. See app for details. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Great stuff from my buddy JJ there as we get you ready for the Patriots and the Jets coming up on Sunday. A massive game for the Pats. Big game for the Jets, but a way bigger game for the Patriots. You lose this game to the Jets, this team is in major trouble. And look, the Jets are 5-2. and two. They've been a good team this season based on their record, but I don't believe in that team. The Patriots have got to win this game on Sunday. I did want to get to a couple of other things, though. So first is the Bruins win again tonight. They end up beating the Red Wings 5-1. to one. So they're now 7-1-0 in the season. Their goal differential is a plus 14. That's the best in the NHL. And the big story on Thursday night is Brad Marchand is back. And Marchand, of course, 
the timetable was it was going to take him until the end of November to come back. And really think about this. Without McAvoy and Marshawn, they were 6-1-0 entering this game on Thursday night. And now they're 7-1-0 after beating Detroit tonight. But Marshawn's basically back more than a month more than what the expectation was. So it's just remarkable to see him back out there after the hip surgeries in the offseason. And one interesting thing in this game tonight was the fact that the Bruins came into this game 19th on the power play. Tonight, three of five on the power play and Marshan two of those goals. And <laughs> it's ridiculous to see how good this guy is just coming back from hip surgery, coming back this early. One of them, vintage Marshawn, nice wrister on the power play. And then Bergeron in his bumper position, which, of course, he's famous for on the power play. He found Pasternak later for a nice goal. Pasta finishes as usual. And he came into tonight with 12 points, did Pasternak. And that was tied for the most in the league. Three more points tonight. And one of the things I sort of outlined before the season that you wanted to see from Pasternak, could he play at an MVP level for the majority of the season? Could he be a contender to win the Hart Trophy? His best finish is fourth, and so far this season, he's answering those questions, which, of course, that also comes back to the fact that he's going to get a big, massive payday. And I'm not worried about him in terms of a flight risk or anything along those lines. It seems like he wants to be here. It's just a matter of getting the deal done between Pasternak and the Bruins, because, of course, they were building around that guy long term. And remember, the Bruins are doing all this right now, as we alluded to, without Charlie McAvoy. And part of the issue on the power play is they don't have McAvoy tonight. We saw that work out a little bit differently with, of course, Marshawn back out there. Now, it was interesting that after the game, Marshawn gave Jim Montgomery, of course, the head coach of the team, credit for one of his goals, saying that he told him to go low glove, and that's what Marshawn did on the second goal. And that's another component to this team right now where it does really feel like Jim Montgomery, you can see his fingerprints on this team, where... They're more of an offensive team than they've been previously, and obviously we're seeing the results. They came into tonight third in the NHL in goals per game at 4.14. So it's a totally different dynamic than what we've seen over the previous years. But the big thing here is that can't go underrated with this team is getting off to this type of a start. Because this is exactly what this team needed. And if you look at, we know how tough the Eastern Conference could be to see them get off to the start. It's just, it's really impressive, especially with the injuries entering the season where you didn't know really what to expect with both those guys, Marshan and great that he's back and McAvoy out of the lineup. The one bad news that came out of this game, Krejci left with an upper body injury, did not look good. And Montgomery said after the game that they've already ruled him out. So that's one thing to monitor because we've referenced it. The fact that just getting that second line center of the offseason was so big because last year when Krejci wasn't with the Bruins, it was noticeable not having that second line center. So hopefully he doesn't miss too long of a period of time here because the Bruins certainly need him on that second line. All right. Big game tonight for the Tampa Bay Bucks. Tom Brady and his buddies there. Well, it did not go well for Tom Brady and company and really starting to get worried about Brady right now because you could see it on not the final drive of the game, but the second to last one where they get into the red zone. Donovan Smith has a penalty on a hold. The very next play, Leonard Fournette starts too early and you can just see the frustration with Brady. You can see it on the sideline as well. It just feels like, man, it was not the best decision to come back for this team. Now, the only thing that does work in Brady's favor is that division, right? If you look at it, I get it. The Bucks lost to the Panthers, but the Panthers are two and five. The Saints are two and five. Atlanta's three and four. The Bucks after the loss tonight dropped to three and five. That's the only good thing for them 
is their division is just so shitty. They may end up getting in there just because of the competition they're playing right now. I mean, what's it going to take? How many wins is it going to take to win that division? It's a complete dumpster fire. Brady threw the ball in that game 44 times. They can't run. They're one of the worst rushing teams in the NFL. Actually, they are the worst rushing team in the NFL. If you look at it on the season, 64.4 yards per game, 32nd, the only team under 70. Fournette was averaging 3.5 yards per carry entering tonight. He looks completely washed. Tonight, nine carries for 24 yards, 2.7 yards per carry. So this Bucks team, it's all on Tom Brady from an offensive perspective. They have no run game whatsoever, which did bring me to one interesting point about that team. I do wonder, because the trading deadline is coming up, I do wonder if the Patriots could start a bidding war for Damian Harris. And the reason I say that is, you know who is second to last in rushing yards per game this season? The Los Angeles Rams. You know who the Rams were interested in, in terms of a trade just about a week and a half ago? Christian McCaffrey. Now, they couldn't get to that final fourth round pick. They offered a second and a third. Of course, San Francisco comes over with the second, the third, and the fourth for McCaffrey. Damian Harris obviously isn't going to cost that amount of change to go after Damian Harris, but I do wonder if you get multiple teams interested because the Buccaneers aren't going to cave in. They have Tom Brady. The guy's like 78 years old. They're going to go for it. Same thing with the Rams. They have an older quarterback in Stafford. They just won the Super Bowl. They're going for it too. If the Patriots put Damian Harris on the market, okay, maybe you get something better than you would have thought you would have gotten. And the thing that makes that interesting to me is, okay, well, if they offer you a shitty offer like a fourth round draft pick, it's probably not worth it just because of the fact that if you look at Harris, then, okay, you're taking that backup that you could have for Ramondre Stevenson out. Now, I would love the fact that for Ramondre Stevenson, they just make him the bell cow back like he's been recently, but you want to make sure you get something in return for Damian Harris worth it just because what we've seen is, well, what if Stevenson did go down? Well, you don't really have a capable backup right now unless you're trusting the rookies. Now, maybe they do trust the rookies, but I'm just wondering now with these offenses, with the Rams, with the Buccaneers, the last two Super Bowl champs, they can't run whatsoever. I'm wondering if Bill can get a little bit more than was anticipated for Damian Harris. And the thing about Harris is he's not going to be around here long term. They have Stevenson, and this is the last year on his rookie contract, so it would make sense to make that trade if the Patriots could get something worth their value going forward for Harris. Oh, the other thing I would just mention, too, with this Bucks team is... Somehow Bruce Arians looks good. I never thought I would say that. This Bucks team is a complete mess. I mean, we have Brady leaving to go to Kraft's wedding, doesn't go to the walkthrough on a Saturday. It's been all downhill since Brady did that. And I'm not saying Arians would have stopped him from going, but at least the team was good with Arians. I mean, Todd Bowles and this team absolutely blow right now. And it really is sort of sad to watch in a way, isn't it? Like watching Tom Brady struggle this way, especially considering the fact that we know everything going on in his personal life as well. I mean, it's just been a hellish year for Tom. All right, we get time for a couple of calls. That number is 617-396-7172, 617-396-7172. Who's up first? Hey, Brian, it's David from Palo Alto, California. I feel like the thing that everyone is missing with the whole Zappy Matt Jones controversy is that the number one job for the team in Belichick was to win the damn game. And if you look what he did, it actually it seemed like the right strategy. I love Jones, and I was right to start him, but he wasn't effective. They brought in Zappi, and he was effective, but then the defense couldn't keep it together. The defense was terrible. The offense was pretty terrible. 
Um, so it looks horrible, and they have a huge problem on their hands. But if you actually look and realize the number one job was to win the game and keep moving forward as the season had been going pretty well, then you actually look and say, I thought the strategy was, was the right one. Uh, it just worked out really badly. And Belichick is known for, you know, making the moves that he thinks are going to be, is going to be best. So I don't, I think the outcome's terrible, but, uh, but I feel like you and everybody else is missing the fact that you got to pursue a strategy to try to win the game. Thanks a lot. Bye bye. Well, it, you bring up an interesting point. Like, Bill would have looked like an absolute genius if the Patriots actually won that game. And he did for a little bit, right? They took the 14-10 to 10 lead. They're rolling with Zappy. So I do understand where you're coming from with that. My whole thing is this. If they knew that there was a chance that Mac couldn't finish the game, and that's what Bill was hiding behind last week, saying it was a health thing, well, they should have just rolled with Zappy. And if you didn't think that Mac had the ability to bounce back after an interception or two to three bad drives in the game that he shouldn't have started. Then you should have just started Zappi to begin with. That's the whole issue that I had is I don't really understand what you did for either quarterback in this particular situation. I understand what your point is about, well, Bill thought he, what he was doing in the game was what was best for the football team. But I would argue the mistake was made before the game. Just start Zappi if Max not going to be able to finish it. All right, who's next? Hey, Brian, this is Kenny from Redonda Beach. Love the show as always. Hey, is this a crazy question? Why, why does, why does Belichick spend so much time telling the quarterbacks what they can and can't say in press conferences? Right? Like, maybe let's, let's <laughs> not spend that much time. Like, talk about distractions and avoiding the distractions. That's what Belichick's all about. Let's just let them say whatever the fuck they want. No one really gives a shit. That's kind of my two cents. It seems like he's so wrapped up in what people are saying in the media from a guy who pretends not to give a shit what the media thinks. I don't know. I don't know if that's crazy or not, but would love to win a couple of football games here. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great call. <laughs> One of the best calls we've received. That's perfect. So I think the Bill dynamic with the media, of course, goes da- back to his days with the Browns. But I'm with you. Like, they coach these guys up so much on what they can and can't say. It's exhausting. For example, the press conference on Wednesday, okay, because it was a weird week for the Patriots. They talked on Tuesday. They talked on Wednesday. I legitimately felt bad on Wednesday for Mac when he's talking to the media. He's obviously been told he's the starter, but he can't talk about being the starter. Why? It doesn't like, what are you doing? What are you accomplishing by Mac going up there? It's awkward for him. He's standing up there for 10 minutes and he won't say he's the starter. So we don't really talk about that. This is how we prepare. Like, I don't understand how that benefits anybody. It really doesn't. It's an awkward situation. You put the player in a weird situation as well. I don't understand why he does that. I really don't. I'm completely with you. I think they spend way too much time on that shit. All right, who's next? Hi, Brian. Uh, This is Ray calling from California. Um, So I wanted to call about the Celtics. Um, I know it's early on in the season, but it seems like the defense has fallen off a little bit. Uh, It's the defense that we saw from the second half of last season where they would just uh, suffocate other teams. Um, right now, I don't really see it. Um, do you think it's because, you know, of Ime not being there or Rob not being there? Because it does seem like um, when Rob is on the floor, um, their defensive intensity kind of goes up a notch. Um, and then another thing I wanted to say was... Uh, when they play small, like we noticed against uh, Chicago the other day, um, sometimes it seems like they could get absolutely murdered on the boards, on the rebounds. Um, 
do you see that as a concern going forward if they continue to uh, play small uh, with Al as the only big out on the floor? Um, but, yeah, those are the two things I wanted to talk about. Uh, uh, love the show. Thank you. Thank you, and I appreciate the kind words. So let me address the first part of that first, and then I'll get to the second part about going small. So the first thing is I believe they're missing Rob a lot more than Ime just because I'm always going to side with the player over the coach in the NBA. And secondarily, you can see it tactically, right? What the Celtics did last year, and give Emei credit for coming up with this, what they did last year is they said, hey, we're going to put Rob on the opposing team's worst shooter. So that way, Rob can just muck everything up. And with Al on the big man, last year what they were doing is they were switching everything. And so if somebody gets by Al, well, Rob could erase that at the basket, right? But this year, they don't have Rob, so they're not using that strategy, which I disagree with them not using that switching scheme basically with Al at all. They're not switching Al, at least in the Chicago game, they weren't at all. They haven't really been doing that. We talked about this earlier. They've been dropping him. That's just, it's not a successful way to play defense in the modern NBA right now, especially with how many good shooters there are across the league. So I don't like that type of coverage. I think you get lazy with that type of coverage as well. And if you're going to do that, the guards have got to do a better job. I would just switch some things up tactically if I was Missoula. And he's going to answer these questions because you're exactly right. The defense has not been good. Now, I'm not overly concerned about it long term, but it's an issue right now. They're playing poor defense. Let's see what they do against Cleveland. The other portion of the equation in terms of playing small, I would actually advocate for doing that more because... If they're going to play drop coverage when Vonley is on the court, then he's going to get burnt and he's not giving you the same value that Al does on the other side. I would just, and Grant can't play against Cleveland, I would play Grant more at the five. That's the tactic that I would use. So big picture, not overly concerned about the Celtics defense, but I do wonder if Missoula is going to start to say, okay, we got to change some of this up because it's not working. And what happened is the first three games or so, really, we kind of overlooked it. Like, you looked at the numbers, you say, yeah, they've been really bad defensively, but we weren't really highlighting it until they got burnt by it, because the other part of this is the Celtics' offense has been outstanding, ridiculous. They've been one of the best offenses in the NBA. They came into the week number one in the NBA, of course, dipped a little bit lower than that after the game against Chicago. So that's the good thing. The offense has been a lot better, which that's really where the Celtics needed to get better, because if you go back to the finals, their defense was good enough to win. I know Curry went off at times. Their defense was good enough to win. It was their offense. So if you want to look at this from a positive perspective, the offense has been better, but I am not concerned about the defense, but I just like to see some changes. Can we do a little bit of switching on defense? That's what made them an elite unit last year. All right, we're going to be back with you on Sunday after the Patriots and the Jets and after the Celtics and the Wizards. So James White will be with us as well. And if you want to leave a voicemail, as always, you can. If you want to rant about the game, maybe the Patriots win. Maybe you got an issue with something with the Celtics. Maybe you want to hype up the Bruins or you're pissed off about the Rafael Devers situation that they don't have a deal done or Bogarts. All that on the table, 617-396-7172, 617-396-7172. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Cerruti for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days.